man, I'm having so much fun. This is a $1.6 trillion industry. I'm talking about the food and beverage space. If you're not having fun, you're in the wrong place. Yes, it's hard work, but my gosh, the companies, the brands, the flavors, the experiences, the missions, it's fantastic. But some of the brands are different, better, and special. They're the ones who are able to really compete and vie for customer loyalty. Look, I know you want to make your brand different, better, and special. I know you yourself want to be different, better, and special. That's my mission. That's why you're here. Join me on this journey as I interview CEOs and founders from all the different companies within the food and beverage industry so we can discover what they're doing, so we can take that information back, digest it, and become better ourselves and to help our companies take on different strategies, pick the right technology, pick the right partners. And of course, you gotta have great tasting food. You gotta have great tasting beverages, packaged goods. If it doesn't taste good, you're lost. I'm sorry, you're gonna lose millions. If you're new here, take the five episode challenge, go back, pick out some brands and CEOs, some topics. If you love the content, subscribe. You're gonna find it on every podcast platform once or twice a week, but I also publish them on LinkedIn because that's where we kind of hang out. So when you see it on LinkedIn, stop by, make a comment, share it back into your food and beverage network. I would appreciate it. The brands would appreciate it. To all my loyal listeners, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being with me on this journey. Thanks for coming along on this mission for the past two years. If you are considering a strategic job change, message me. Let's have a confidential conversation. If your brand is growing and you need to attract experts, you also need to contact me because I have created a different, better, and special recruiting system. I promise you, no other search firm in America is doing that. Who am I? I'm Tony Moore. I'm an expert food and beverage headhunter, semi-professional podcaster, and I'm here each and every week. Stay tuned for this week's episode. This is a $1.6 trillion industry. It's, in, it's enormous. And some of the best advice ever given, learn from someone else. Don't spend millions on your, you know, on your own money if you don't have to. Discover what other people have done before. And my guest today, Amy Stedman, the founder and chief, I got to just say it, chief get shit done officer, COO <laughs> from, <laughs> from Beatbox is here with us today. Amy, you've got a lot of fans out there. I literally have had people message me to say, you got to get Amy on your podcast. Now, what the heck? How did you That's do awesome. that? I don't it know. It is awesome. That's great. Thanks you've got your little fan that. base out there. Well, hopefully that's spilling over into beatbox fans as well. Um. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Translating over. Well, so before we get into kind of the meat of our, our discussion and kind of picking your, your entrepreneurial brain and this great ride you guys have been on, um, just give us the origin story here because it's not very often people hear about a successful company that really does come from college and, and actually lasts. Yeah, absolutely. I can go into a little bit of my background as well. I'd love to hear it, please. Um, so I was born in the Middle East right before the Gulf War. My parents uh, were professionals in the Middle East. My dad's from the UK. My mom's from Syria. And we moved around a lot when I was a kid and ended up moving to Texas so that they could pursue their dreams of becoming entrepreneurs. 
And so when I moved here, I was about 10 years old and my parents were entrepreneurs and they had a like a vending machine company with those stuffed animals in it with the crane machines. Oh, the little arm? Yes, with the arm. And uh, they also had like stickers and runts and candy. And it was really fun for me as a kid. Um, you know, but I did get to learn, you know, the hard work of being an entrepreneur from them. We used to count quarters every Wednesdays. I used to spend my summers kind of driving around and, um, you know, putting those keychains in those plastic bubbles, you know, in the, for the machines. Yeah, and put them in. Uh, yeah, exactly. So that's what I kind of grew up around. And then, you know, my parents had never been to college. And so it was their dream for me to go and get you know, the a world-class U.S. education. And so I went to school at UT Austin the first time and graduated in 2008 with a degree in advertising. And, you know, 2008 was kind of a crazy time to graduate because the whole world was kind of falling apart with the economy Blowing and everything. Blowing up pretty much, yep. But uh, I had something good going for me, which is that I was a big video game nerd and I knew how to code uh, websites and build my own computers and that kind of thing. So I specialized in the new sort of online marketing industry that was kind of starting at that time. So I had an online marketing agency with my family and was, you know, making websites and things like that nights and weekends after my day job at the food bank. And then eventually decided to go to grad school to kind of pursue my dream of being an entrepreneur, just like my parents. And UT Austin happens to have one of the best entrepreneurial MBA programs in the country, right where I was already living. And, um, you know, got, got the acceptance, got really excited, uh, joined Entrepreneur Society, which is where I met my co-founders for Beatbox. And originally, I just said, hey, yeah, I can make you guys a website for your crazy neon cocktail company. Uh, and then started working with them. And, you know, we were all the entrepreneurs that would really want to go to the music festivals every weekend. And I had a radio show. I was like obsessed You're with the music. fun party people. Let's be honest. We were the party MBAs. Exactly. So, um, you know, of all of the, you know, student business ideas that I made a website for in the first six months of school, that was the one that, you know, Justin and I got along really well and the rest of the guys. And, you know, we started emptying out Franzia bags and boxes and testing out different cocktail combinations. You know, we, we posted on 99designs.com to, you know, get some packaging concepts for, you know, the original name was Boombox Beverages because we wanted to make you know, music was the center of our social life. So we wanted music to be the center of the brand as well. And so we got those initial prototypes going, we would take them to like, you know, the big swimming pools and the apartment complexes here in Austin, where, you know, a lot of the students live, and just ID people and get feedback. And, you know, the blue raspberry lemonade one was the one that was always empty. And so that was the first flavor we went with. And then, ended up picking, you know, our price point and the packaging design, all that kind of stuff. And then ran it through the UT sort of business school pitch slam competition situation and, you know, started just making the product while we were still in school. And we graduated around May 2013 and we already had had the product, you know, made in a small warehouse here in Austin and gotten into a couple stores and everything before we graduated. And so we were just kind of working on it. I got a day job running the 
like the UT, it's called Texas Venture Labs. It's like their startup accelerator program. That's part of the grad school. Um, they have a program that supported, you know, people that aren't independently wealthy that were <laughs> trying to pursue their own entrepreneurial ventures. Uh, you could have health insurance if you worked at the university and, you know, help them run the accelerator program and the business plan, plan competition and all that kind of stuff. So you got a little bit of mentorship kind of built in through this because that's the big problem that some of people have starting. They don't have any, you know, yeah. guidance because you didn't come from beverage or anything like that, right? So absolutely not. So you know that was a big part of our story moving forward from there. Was you know once we finally did launch, we you know we we really didn't know what we were doing for a very long time because we were just coming to the business from the perspective of the consumer not being, you know, alcohol industry execs. I was 23 years old when we started the company. So, um, that's fascinating. Yeah. But it does show it, it can be done. Oh, absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I continued to work my day job and then we would do those tastings in stores, you know, like nights and weekends, every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know, I was out there saying, Hey, y'all want to try some beatbox and trying You're to get feedback. Hustling. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then people always say, you should go on Shark Tank. You should go on Shark Tank. You know, you guys should really do that. So during South by Southwest uh, 2014, about, you know, a little bit less than a year after we graduated, we waited in line and pitched the producers and got the callbacks. And then we eventually got to pitch the Sharks that summer, June 2014, um, and got one of the biggest deals on the show of all time. Which you is- did. A lot of pressure for a you know young mid twenties entrepreneur that does not know what they're doing. <laughs> but uh, uh, it was a pretty exciting journey from there. Um, well, now you can't just now you can't just gloss over that whole thing. And I do know you obviously sign NDAs. You probably can't go into you know tons of information. Yeah. But, um, I think Happy that's one of the share. well. I think that's one of the hardest things for entrepreneurs that that don't have the experience in the space to get the funding. So you were able to get the funding without the experience. So obviously you gave up some equity to do that. But uh, Mark Cuban and his team, how much time and uh, extra effort were they giving you to, to give you the, that advice and that, that uh, guidance that you didn't have? Yeah. So, you know, I really don't have anything but incredible gratitude for Mark Cuban and his team. Uh, he set up basically a small company called Mark Cuban Companies to support all of his Shark Tank investments, his other investments. So I immediately got a, you know, Mark Cuban paid for accountant, graphic designer, industry analyst. Um, Mark himself met with my partners and I regularly after he made the investment and, you know, tried to help us as much as he could. He would come out to events and things like that. Eventually, um, Due to, you know, the alcohol beverage laws being what they are, it's very difficult for Mark to own the shares in Beatbox in his name because that would prevent him from, you know, owning a restaurant or owning, um, you know, shares in something else you know, just due to the nature of the alcohol beverage industry. So he eventually moved his shares to Jeff Cuban, who's his brother, and Jeff came on and joined our board. So now I, I work very closely with Jeff and he's also a very talented entrepreneurial person and has helped us a lot. You know, Mark Cuban helped us as much as he can, but he's incredibly busy. And uh, Jeff Cuban really takes the time and, you know, he's at every board meeting and 
you know, is always available for us. So we really, really, like I said, I have nothing but gratitude for everything they've done for us. And, you know, I, I came to this country from the Middle East with no network. And so and look at that. You get tied <laughs> into the, one of the biggest influencers in America, if not the world. Exactly. And you're 23. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I feel like I have one of the luckiest stories of any person. And so um, it is amazing. Yeah, it truly is amazing. And and so you hear a lot of people, you know, their, their website breaks, you know, after the event. Yes. But you're the website coder, so maybe you knew that. Maybe you were. Maybe <laughs> we, you were ready. We survived. You know, that was right. another uh, another benefit that Mark helped us with is surviving that. But um, yeah, we we did okay. But the unfortunate part is, you know, again, the alcohol beverage industry it's not really set up for online sales, and so unlike something that you know is lightweight and quickly shippable and things like that we couldn't really take advantage yeah exactly so we but we did you know leverage the opportunity of course to get conversations going with chains um to get more conversations going obviously just the demand you know driving people to their own local stores and asking for the product so following shark tank i mean we signed on actually before shark tank we through the McCombs and UT Austin system, got connected with an individual named Alan Dreben, who is one of the owners of Republic National Distribution Company. So that's one of the biggest wine and spirits wholesalers in the world. So, you know, love Mark and everything he's done for us, but he's not an alcohol beverage guy. We're, we're one of his only, you know, alcohol companies. And, you know, he can't really get too into it, as we mentioned. So, um he, you know, Alan Dreben really took us under his wing and helped us get into chains like HEB early on, even before Shark Tank, which was part of why our story was so compelling once we got into Shark Tank is that we did have momentum signing on a distributor, signing on, you know, a great chain like HEB and having good performance in that chain. And then um, from there, you know, after Shark Tank hit, you know, we we really wanted to go you know, all over the place and, you know, go in all these different Walmarts and everything else and, you know, all these opportunities that were coming to us. But we still only had, you know, a few, it was just me and my partners and our, you know, our first teammate, Spencer. And, you know, it was just us trying to make it work like lean startup style, which is only so effective in CPG retail, as we soon came to find out. You really you gotta need have that people. team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got to have people. So, you got to make So walk us through that because I think that's where a lot of these companies are where they're they're starting to scale, they're starting to grow and it's like where do they put their their money? You know, what do they invest in first? If I had to do it all over again, uh, right when we first got the investment, I would have gone out and hired you know, in, in my business, you really need to have two or three or four different you know, teams of sales teams, right? So you've got your wholesaler sales team. So those are the folks that are managing the distributor relationships and making sure that all of those alcohol beverage distributors, we work with beer wholesalers. We used to work with RDC wine and spirits wholesalers, but that's like a whole sales team just following up with those folks and all the independent opportunities. And then you also have obviously the retail sales team that's going after the big chains, the regional chains, and then, you know, on our end, we also have our, you know, field marketing team, our brand ambassador teams, our sort of boots on the ground that go and set up displays and kind of help 
you know, co-sell with the like the merchandising side of it. Exactly, the merchandising team. So it's really a lot of different teams that are all boots on the ground and and regionally distributed. You know, we've been a fully remote team since we started the company due to that fact. So, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we've been on Slack and Asana and uh, <laughs> trying to we, – we Two, do, two, you know, two regular... tools that we use quite a bit here too. Yeah, I've got employees <laughs> yeah. all over the world. So it's how else exactly, do you keep track yeah. of, of tasks? We use That's Asana. Yeah, the EOS. Uh, oh, you've you got know, that one. Uh, we use, the uh, yeah, entrepreneurial yeah. operating system. That's right. So we use a system of like scorecards and the way that we set our cadence with goal setting and meetings and things like that. God, I would love to go into that sometime with you. I know this is not really our, our thing here today. We want to do more, but <laughs> absolutely. That, I've heard you know, some, I'm an operations co-founder, so that's my jam right there. Yeah, it is. And I, I keep hearing more and more about the EOS and I've got, a, uh, I've had some other companies on and they use that too. And that's been really, really successful for the uh, executive team and then messaging down to the, the rest of the team. So I'm going to put a pin in that one. We're going to come back to the EOS because I do find that kind of interesting. Um, so that's kind of what you would do with, with your initial investment. You would have made those investments into your sales channels, hiring people to manage that. Yes, absolutely. And then, you know, just just the best people you can possibly find to head up every area. You know, I think I, I brought in a VP of ops uh, sooner than probably somebody else would have. But, you know, everybody in our business has equity. We, you know, that's part of our company culture is that all of our, you know, teammates are owners. We expect people to think like owners and, and we treat people like owners because they are owners. They Wait, all is that for everybody? Like, yeah, everybody all the way down the line? Yeah. Okay. As you know, at least uh, a significant amount of equity relative to their role um, opportunity for sure. Well, you were ahead of the curve doing that, and obviously working with with Mark and 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 Jeff, that might have kind of instilled some of those ideas with you. Mm-hmm. But you probably were able to insulate yourself from some of the challenges in the in the staffing world because people had a reason to stay. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm very excited about the level of talent that we've been able to attract. And, you know, most people came in significantly under their, you know, salary that they were used to because of the opportunity there. We also do bonuses. We don't limit people's bonuses. So, you know, with a, with a product that's performing as well as ours is and the opportunity that we're only in 6% of all the stores we can be in, for a sales team, it's like, hey, for those that want to go out there and get it done, we will offer get you. Get out there and hustle. Exactly. Yeah, give them bonus. Yeah, like, I, you know, I would rather, you know, as a founder, all day we would rather invest in the sales team than pay ourselves more. And we've consistently done that, you know, throughout the past 11 years of having this company. So, Talk to me a little more, though, about the – if there was a, a struggle with um, – control of the company going through the growth periods, how you manage through the scale, because you have scaled quite a bit. I know we've, we're kind of talking offline. You've had lots of other investor conversations. People want in on this. So kind of walk us through those early phases of big growth. Yeah. So there was kind of this phase right after Shark Tank where we were still with the Wine and Spirits Wholesale Network. We were still with a very large, big bag and box, five liter product. Um, I don't even know that I've even mentioned exactly what beatbox is, which I'm happy to go into the product details. But 
And by the way, your samples got crushed. Okay. <laughs> well, that's, we'll have to correct that. you sent out. Yeah. yeah oh, like, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Drank as in crushed. Oh, okay. I was like, oh, you, they, they arrived crushed. Okay. Okay, perfect. That's we brought awesome. them into the office. Okay. We so have an office lunch. you enjoyed them is what you're saying. Uh, awesome. Yes. Libations oh, were great enjoyed. Great to hear it. Great to hear it. I'm yes. curious to y'all. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I purposely am not drinking any for the episode today because. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Wait, wait till uh, you're ready to enjoy yourself. Exactly, exactly. Um, okay, so sorry, I, I derailed you there. Yeah. So beatbox beverages is a wine-based punch. So the original idea came from creating the next generation's version of boxed wine. So we love the format of boxed wine and the packaging for it, but we wanted to develop a brand that made sense for my generation and, you know, now the next generation, Gen Z, and also with a liquid that we wanted to drink. You know, most of the people drinking boxed wine at the parties we were at didn't especially love, you know, the blend of wine that it was. It was just that it was shareable, it was affordable, you know, it was fun. And so we created fun flavors like blue raspberry lemonade, fruit punch, pink lemonade, peach punch, those kinds of flavors. And it's, you know, slightly lower sugar than all of the other alternatives out there. It's 11.1% ABV. It's delicious. And it's been very successful in those formats. Um, so that's the product. And it's, you know, gluten-free because it's wine-based and it's really I think the mango, I think, was really good. I think that's the, the – That's the, our newest flavor. So that's great to hear. Yes. That one went down pretty quick. And the blueberry one, I think, that you mentioned, that, that's quite good. So that was the origin. Was that kind of that wine in a – Wine in a box, wine in a can, that kind of... Yeah, exactly. Did you go through a transition where you you were selling higher volume packages and you kind of went down to the smaller? Because this right. size is really... Um, uh, it's very mobile. I mean, it's, it's a, it fits in your hand. You can drink part of it. It's easy to put it up and finish it. Yeah, we originally launched the company with a five liter bag and box, which was at a you know nineteen ninety nine to twenty four ninety nine price point, and was distributed by the other box wine distributors. So it was always kind of in the box wine section, sitting warm. Uh, part of the thing that we learned while we were trying to scale was that we really need to be with the other sort of flavored items. And so those products are usually distributed by beer wholesalers. So we went through a transition where we moved. Um, you know, our whole distribution network from wine and spirits to the beer network uh, with Alan Dreben and the rest of our, you know, our R&DC and the rest of our wine and spirits network, you know, it was a very friendly transition. And so we really appreciated that from them, that they understood that this was the right fit for our product as well. And so we also switched the product line at that time to be uh, in a single serve that was more trial sized, you know, most people didn't want to take a bet on something that was nearly $20 or more if they had never tried it before. And so as a new company, having a trial size became very important. And so that's we a started, good strategy. Yeah, we, we created a, a 500 milliliter version of the product in Tetra Pak, eco-friendly, you know, cartons and kind of set off with that product line. And so, you know, the, the growth really has come in the past three to four years that we've relaunched with that combo of the beer networks and the single serve line. And so, you know, our sales have gone from a million dollars back in 
back then to, you know, we just closed in uh, 21 million in March. So yeah, that is quite the, yeah, quite the success story. And um, I think um, the data too, from IRI and uh, Nielsen now, right, you're the number one uh, brand in the US for uh, cocktails and single serve wine. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, if you compare us to any other single serve wine, we're, you know, definitely the top in terms of dollar per point, but also now nearly the top in terms of volume and revenue as well. So you can fairly say we're the number one single serve wine out there. If you compare us to things like flavored malt beverages, spirits based cocktails, other Wayne Vice cocktails, we'll always be number one, number two, or number three in terms of brand family. And so that gives us a lot of confidence to go out there and get those accounts and, you know, continue to raise money and and grow the company because uh, we know that in the same stores will perform, you know, just as well, if not better than any other brand that's out there. And the other brands that we're competing with are multi, multi multi-million or billion dollar companies. So. Now, you also are the, the founding board member and board president of the emerging CPG group, Naturally Austin. And this podcast really is dialed in for those entry-level starting you know, brands. What kind of advice are you finding that is – or the biggest challenges that these companies are having that they're facing that you're able to kind of help these th- guys through? Well, I'm an operations founder, and so I think I get a lot of folks reaching out about, you know, securing co-packing and commercializing something that maybe they were making themselves or in a smaller kind of setup. And so, you know, we've tried to build out some really great partners there that are, you know, great with helping startups. And then also um, fundraising. I mean, that's that's usually that's what I get called about. <laughs> because Everyone wants that, the, don't they? Yeah, I mean, we've raised now, you know, sort of the seed round with Shark Tank and then two other rounds. And we've done sort of the WeFunder crowdfunding uh, fundraising. So most of the funds that we've raised have all been, you know, like 95% of the funds have been through individuals, not through any venture capitalists or anything like that. Yeah, no institutional have- funds. Exactly. We we actually only have two locally based uh, CPG funds in beatbox and everybody else is pretty much an angel or super angel. So, you know, usually that's where funds will come. And I'm an immigrant, like I mentioned, I didn't have any network here before I started. Obviously, I got really lucky in getting on Shark Tank, you know, where where hard work meets opportunity, right? But, um, you know, a lot of the funds raised have just been coffee shop conversations, Zoom conversations, finding people on LinkedIn, And Naturally Austin and the other Naturally Network chapters were all started to create access to this industry for people, um, you know, just like me that maybe don't have, you know, a bunch of rich uncles or something somewhere that can, you know, (laughs) ready to just plop down five million to help you with your little pet project. This is a lot more than Um, And so, you know, there's that. And then it's also for people that want to make this industry more inclusive and more sustainable. And so, Um, Being from the Middle East, climate change is something that, you know, the climate crisis is something that I'm really passionate about. And so bringing that into work was really important for me. Obviously, we do a lot with our own supply chain and things like that. But, you know, the greatest impact I think any of us can have is uniting with other companies to try and do change together. 
Um, so that's what that's all about. Well, and it's great too that you're able to work with these companies at such an early stage so they can understand this is what they're going to need in the future. Make those steps now. Like you just were saying through your early growth, you wish you had made those investments early in some people. Mm-hmm. They might be able to make you know better decisions now. Right. Another sort of return on investment or something that I would absolutely do again is trying to be more efficient on marketing, either regionally or by a retail chain or by a specific group of people. Um, Every time that we've specialized and focused and narrowed down in terms of brand marketing, I think it's really worked well for us. And so, you know, when we first launched in 18 different states with the Wine and Spirits Network and trying to do all of that with just, you know, my partners and an intern and kind of, you know, that was not the recipe for success. You know, now we contracted back down again to four states, a relaunch with the beer networks and then slowly grew from there. So we could focus our, you know, marketing budgets as limited as they are versus the other companies in my, you know, in my category. Yeah, just being more efficient and just picking some very targeted key cities to do events and brand ambassador activations and samplings and those kinds of things. Um, and then start growing from there. Um, or if you get, you know, a lucky break and you get into a retail chain, you know, just making sure that you're focusing those efforts to support success so that you can build on that success and get in more chains and and grow from there. Expand on that a little bit about the, about, uh, doing the right things at the retail level. What are some, steps that uh, an entrepreneur could do to really make sure that they're getting the pull through? For sure. So, you know, one of the simplest things we do is just always drive folks to the store locator, right? So that's pretty much the major call to action for anyone in the alcohol industry or anyone in beverage, because all of your digital marketing, I mean, you're not really trying to sell a ton of, you know, I'm not trying to sell a ton of beatbox on my website. I'm trying to get people out to buy it at retail or to order it through GoPuff or to order it through some other app that they love um, through the three tier system. And so, um, you know, that that's something that we always use in retail presentations. You know, retailers always want more profit or more traffic or a better experience for their customers. And so we always position beatbox as a way to solve that problem. Hey, we've got all of these folks searching you know, we actually have more than, you know, it's like 2,000 to 3,000 people per day on my store locator looking for their, you know, local store. And so we, we segment that down by zip code and show that to the buyers. Um, we, you know, just say, hey, we're going to send these people to you if you take us on. And then, you know, if we do have a, a store program going on, you know, we make sure that we support that regional territory, you know, with relevant outreach and events and whatever we need to do to make sure that people have heard about it. And, you know, when they're, when they are shopping with their retailers that, you know, that's not the first time they've ever seen it locally. So I've had people on to explain to folks about, um, trade promotions, cause that's a, a complicated area. You can spend a lot of money. You can waste a lot of money. Um, how did you guys handle that without, the expertise in-house? Did you have a, a mentor? Did you have some advice yeah, from the outside? You know, we don't, we just don't really do it. In alcohol, you know, you, you don't really do the same kinds of things that you might, I think a lot of people sometimes will do like discounting and things like that. But my product is a very high margin for everybody that sells it. You know, my retailers make better margins on it than they do with anything else. 
my wholesalers make better margins on it than they do with everything else. And I make better margin on it than most other companies would. And so we don't really do a lot of that stuff. What we do is, you know, collaborate on, you know, in-store displays and, you know, invest on those kinds of things, but we don't do any kind of like discounting kind of stuff anymore. It doesn't sound like you have to. It sounds like the margins are so strong that they're going to do all they can to make sure yeah. you've got the best placement. I think maybe that's exactly. That's and why you know, you get my problem it. right now is, you know, I'm, I'm one of the highest velocity items in their store already. And so what we're trying to do is just get them more stores, you know, <laughs> that's a, right. That's, that's not the problem I have at the moment. Maybe when we're a huge, huge company, that might be something I can, you know, flex with later on if we need to do some, some sort of discounting or something, but. I mean, I'm not saying we don't invest in samplings, that we don't invest in point of sale and things like that. We do that, but um, just not, I, I guess, not in the same way like couponing and stuff like that. It's also tricky in alcohol. It's not, it's not compliant in every state. And you just don't need it. I mean, that's what, that's mm-hmm. your point. You just right. don't need it. So you're, right. that's, it's a, it's a tool for you to use, but it's just not necessary for you. Correct. Now, you've already yeah. touched on e-com. Your e-com is, is basically your strategy to push people back to the store locators. Yeah, we do sell, you know, hoodies and hats and fun lifestyle items. We sell, you know, beatbox on there. You can order it through the three-tier system. Um, you know, it'll come to your house, but, you know, it's expensive to do that. You're going to get it, you know, days later, not 30 minutes or less later, you know. So it's really only for folks that really don't have access to stores near them and that, that they can still get it. So. Amy, what would you say was some of the best advice that you have ever gotten? Ooh, okay. Um, well, I got two two great ones from Tito Beverage <laughs> that I can share. Um, yeah, so we got the exciting opportunity to meet with Tito early on. You know, that's a, a great thing about Austin is that a lot of the people that are successful here continue to be around and help the next generation. And so I uh, got to sit down with Tito and one th- thing he said to us was, you know, dogs got to like the dog food. Like you can make your packaging look great. You can do all this kind of stuff, but if it doesn't taste good, nobody cares, you know? And so always focus on having the best tasting product. And so we really have done that. And I think that's been why we've been so successful is everybody doesn't expect it to be quite as delicious as it is. And it is incredibly delicious. So. It is quite, I told you, <laughs> we crushed it pretty quick. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that is the most important thing. And then another thing that he told me, in that meeting, you know, we, we, at that time, I was still working two jobs or more, and we were making it, you know, in our own facility Monday through Thursday. And then I was doing those tastings, you know, Friday night after work, all day Saturday, maybe we'd take Sunday off. And I was just really getting to me that sort of lifestyle. And so we asked Tito, like, how did you do it? You know, all these years, um, you know, maxing out credit cards, all that stress. And, he just said, it's rock and roll, man. <laughs> it's just like, it really changed my perspective. You know, it's just like, hey, this is your lifestyle now. This is it. You know, like this is, this is what it's going to be. So you need to have a perspective that kind of allows that. And so um, have you fun You needed a it. mindset change. 
Yeah, it was like, okay, you're not going to have some balanced life. Like, (laughs) it's probably not going to be like that for a long time, you know, but you're really passionate about what you're doing and it's rock and roll, you know, just. I mean, you have been off the wall since even before Expo West. I mean, you and I have been trying to get this thing scheduled for two months, it feels like. Yeah, you know, I have to prioritize, you know, obviously selling party punch 24/7. Yeah. But then I well, also that's just that the point is you're that's what you're, you know, you've embraced that. You otherwise Yeah, for um, sure. Um You got to capitalize, right, when when the market's hot. And like like you know my story now, you know, I have cousins in Syria that they couldn't do this if they wanted to, you know? And so for me, it's like I have the, the coolest opportunity in the planet. You know, why wouldn't I just completely go for it and, and try and help everybody else at the same time, you know, through this nonprofit stuff we're doing. So that's just like giving me my life a lot of meaning and I'm having a lot of fun. Well, and that's what, and listen, and we're so grateful that you even came to talk with us and, and our audience too, because I hope everyone is learning, you know, from you and, and kind of your, your spirit, you know, as you kind of went about all of this. Um, when you go on to Shark Tank and you take on this investment and you maybe a few other investments that have come in, at what point does exit strategy come into play and, you know, how do you start managing for that next chapter? Because entrepreneurs, eventually, you know, you do sell and you go on and you, you do another one. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, uh, I think, a very personal thing for every entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, earlier in the early days, I definitely was enticed by the glamour of having a big exit and, you know, being that cool person. Um, But, you know, we when we first started this company, we just told each other, you know, let's build something that's a great business that would be thriving and get it to 100 million in revenue. And then we'll have every opportunity And, you know, through that process, personally, I have come to a point where I do not want to sell the company. Interesting. I want to do this forever. And for me, you know, my main motivation is I want to run the most sustainable, the most inclusive, the best operating, you know, beverage company in the world. And so leaving it when it just starts getting big is kind of not really, truly my motivation. I'm not that motivated by money. I'm motivated by changing the world. And so um, having a really big company and platform is more exciting to me. But that being said, I've taken a lot of investment from a lot of people. I don't personally have, you know, a huge percentage of my company. And so, um, you know, whatever makes the most sense for Beatbox to be the big global brand that it needs to be. Um, is the direction that will take it, of course, because it's, it's not just my personal opinion, but I love my company and I don't want to go anywhere. You know, we've spent 11 years building the most fun company culture and the most exciting um, opportunity. And, you know, I'm, I, don't, I can't really imagine having more fun anywhere else. But Why I'm, leave I, when the party's just getting started, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I'm only 33 and um, you know, I, I could do this, you know, maybe, maybe beatbox could be that big, huge global supplier that billion you know, dollar beatbox. You never know. You know, yeah, you just mul- go, you multi-billion. Just, Let's yeah. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so what's the best way for people to, to find you, to find beatbox and to, and to connect with you? 
Yeah, so beatboxbeverages.com is where the beautiful store locator is. And so that's the best way to see, you know, where beatbox is sold near you. We have an 11% version, which is sort of our classic version. And we just launched variety packs and a zero sugar, 6% ABV, sort of lower out version of all of our same flavors. And so those are online. And also you can see, you know, when you're on the store locator, which stores have what products. Um, so you can check it out. And so that would be great for you to support me that way and just have Beatbox at all of your parties this uh, upcoming party season this yeah, summer. That's right. And uh, beyond that, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I serve on the boards of Entrepreneur Organization, obviously the National Naturally Network now, as well as Naturally Austin. Um, and I'm also part of a female founders group called Beam. And so, you know, I generally make myself available because a lot of people helped me and that's what it's all about. So um, if I can help anyone, please reach out. Oh, that's great. We'll put all this information in the show notes so everyone can find you and connect. Amy, thank you so much. Very, it's just great. It's just been great to meet you and, and hear your story. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.